What's up, everybody, and welcome to the show. Today we have our first returning guest, you know, from episode one, uh, with this badass story about John Chapman. This dude is an Air Force officer, an outstanding leader, overall good dude, incredibly smart. Everybody give it up for Josh Hobson. ready i'm kind of nervous why because i'm here because you're here because <laughs> he's here uh all right so welcome everybody to the tell me something podcast uh i'm your host cruz Villanueva. have the other host holly Villanueva. hi yeah and then back joining us today is the one and only josh hobson hello everyone how's it going man hey man I'm, it's going good happy yeah. to be here happy yeah. to be back yeah, we're glad to have you back. Yeah, and the first one didn't bomb, so. No, <laughs> no, it did the opposite. It, uh, everybody loved it for sure. Um, all two people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> My mom included, so um, I hate to break it to you. She probably was most most of the streams. Yeah. So. Hey, I'll take it, man. Uh, yeah, it was an awesome podcast last time. So, and then uh, I know we had a plan for you to come on here again. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to it. And now we're doing it. And, uh a lot of shit has happened in between then and now. Yeah. So what's it been like almost two weeks? Yeah. Uh, it feels like, uh, we're going down with the Titanic. Yes. <laughs> Fucking 2020, right? Yeah. We're, we're living who's somebody said it that we're living in one year, what usually takes like seven or eight years. So like with the pandemic and then, uh, everything going on with the George, uh, George Floyd and, uh, the black lives matters movement. Yeah. Well, so, so yeah, yeah, I think, you know, since what, February or March, it's been the combination of the 1918 flu pandemic, the mm -hmm. 1929 economic collapse. Yeah, and the, the that's the other one. Civil yeah. rights movement, like all sort of packed into the first, you know, five, it's six months of this year. It's not even a year. It's yeah. just like three months. Yeah, yeah this is insane. Yeah. It's, um, I, I think we have crisis fatigue. Yeah. To be quite honest, like it's, it's sort of the, uh, you know, if everything's important, then guess what? Nothing's important. <laughs> so it went from like everyone not doing anything because of COVID to everyone doing everything in a matter of like one week's time. Yeah. And then, then you have social media to add fuel to the fire. Everything is getting noticed. Everything's getting put out there. Everybody has their opinion and it's just, it's nuts. We do too. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> yes, why we're on here. That's why we're on here. Yeah. Uh, Yep. But yeah, it's just nuts to go through all that. Um but yeah, so one of the things we're we're gonna talk about is what happened in the past week or a week and a half? Uh, about a week and a half now, I think, since yeah. since uh everything sorta went to hell. Yeah. In terms of um Mr. Floyd being murdered and and everything that has happened since then. So it's um it's been really interesting to kind of see the, the conversation play out. Um, not only in the media, which is super annoying, uh, to, to constantly have that in your face, but then, you know, to see it on social media, like you, uh, there's not anything that you can log into right now that this <laughs> yeah. isn't dominating yes. news feeds and timelines and, you know, whether it's your grandmama on Facebook or, <laughs> you know, random people on Instagram, you yeah. know, blacking out their, their photos or, yeah. you know, the just insane coverage on Twitter, um, 
it's all over and I'm here for it, I guess, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, I think it's sort of cowardly to, to not be. Yeah. Um, did you, uh, black out your photo? I did. Um, you know, I, I actually tend not to take part in stuff like that where it's like, um, like the mass appeal yeah. sort of, sort of thing. But, um, I just felt like this one was, it was worthy of yeah. the five seconds that it took, uh, just to, 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 to be a part of it and, and show support. You know, I'm, I may not look like it, but you know, I am black. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a mixed race household and, you know, my dad is half black. My mom's white. Uh, my, one of my grandmas is, is, is French. And so growing up hearing the stories of the, uh, the racism that, you know, my dad, his family dealt with when they were kids, you know, like he said that they never were allowed to go into restaurants to eat together. You know, like half the family would go in and then the other half would go in to eat while they were children oh, just because dang. it wasn't, it wasn't acceptable, yeah. you know, to have uh, a black male and a white woman, you know, raising a family. Yeah. And so, um, history has a long tail, you know, we're not that far removed from things like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously you guys, you have a mixed race family and, yes. you know, I have a mixed race family. My wife is white and, you know, my kids are varying shades of, <laughs> you know, melanin. Yeah. And, um, you know, they don't, they don't look black. Uh, they don't, you know, one of them sort of resembles like Taylor Swift. Another sort of <laughs> resembles, I don't know, like what's another pop star that's brown. Uh, uh, Ariana Grande. Uh, like, yeah, like, <laughs> that's like, what I was thinking of, like, but I couldn't the, think of the name. It's it's that sort of like leap, and then you know my son is like even darker. Yeah, um, but they don't look African American yeah. at all, and uh, and you know like my oldest daughter. You know we've been having some pretty extreme conversations with them around the dinner table. Th those are tough. You know they're asking questions, and you know looking looking at her with these bright blue eyes and her blonde curly hair and i'm like by definition child you're black mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like you yeah. can't run from this um but uh, it's 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 something that um you know my wife and i made the decision like we're not backing down from talking to them about this it's it's too important yeah yes it, it's more important than their innocence yeah it's yeah, I Terrible think as that might big sound. things like that you you can't completely shield your children from, yeah. or you shouldn't. Like maybe you should introduce it to them in small chunks, but ultimately I think they should know. And yeah. we we kind of do that with our yeah. kids um, because then they go out into the world right. thinking everything is rainbows, and, right. and it's not. Yep. Uh, like this year, I guess the first one was coronavirus and explaining that to the little ones so the five and seven year old so they were kind of freaked out they kept on hearing all that um and we tried to break it down for them and, and it helped yeah and now it's it's this and so we haven't had the conversation yet but they they see the images mm -hmm. you know we were uh we were getting food from mcdonald's and the screen was just uh there at mcdonald's was just playing like uh, I don't know, it was CNN or who it was, 
some news outlet and they were showing everything about what happened. Um, and the the kids are looking at it and I could tell them, Hey, don't look at the TV. Yeah. But you know, some of that stuff, they, I think they should be exposed to not everything, but cause they have to know. Sure. Right? And so, you know, I think it's important for parents to, to figure out what their kids are capable of absorbing and, yeah. and kind of, you know, going from there. Like, I'm not going to tell you guys how to parent your children, and I hope you wouldn't tell me how to parent mine. Um, Wish you would. <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, I, I tend to be a little more like, like I'll rip the Band-Aid off, I guess, with the kids, yeah. whereas my wife is like for sure more of the nurturer, wants to protect innocence. And, and it's not to say that I don't want to protect their innocence, but, man, the world comes at you fast. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. Case in point, my son will be six in a week just wrapped up kindergarten mm-hmm. and not three months ago you know he's he's telling my wife and I that he hates his brown skin oh and that it's wow. ugly and like to That's the point hard. of tears you yeah. know and so um you know and we'd ask him you know where are you getting that from Maverick you know are you is it friends at school is it you know are you is it in the neighborhood? You know, are you getting it from teachers? And he would never, um, to his credit, he's no narc. But he would, <laughs> you know, he would never say. Don't like, you know, Dad? Snitches yeah, get stitches. Exactly. And uh, I mean, this went on for like three weeks, yeah. and it was just like we had to like condition, like recondition him, yeah. recondition it out of him. That, mm-hmm. hey, dude, like, how boring would it be if we were all if we all looked exactly the same? And sounded exactly the same and all had the same experiences. And, you know, and and it was super deliberate, especially like, you know, on our part, like, hey, you know, look at look at her. Look at him. You know, they're beautiful. Um, you know, don't you think, you know, she's pretty? You know, it's, it's weird. He's like six. And like, oh, yeah, it's <laughs> gross, you know, but yeah. Um, and it, you know, I don't know that it's over. I just know that it stopped when school moved to distance learning for them. and that's yeah. the worst man because if you hear somebody yeah. like coming from your teacher exactly or people so. that you're looking up to or supposed to guide yeah. you and you know show you yeah. right from wrong and you're hearing this nonsense mm-hmm. it, that's it's heartbreaking yeah and i experienced it as a kid you know i vividly remember you know being in fifth and sixth grade being called an oreo you know <laughs> yeah. and that's uh not ever really knowing where i fit in because I wasn't fully white. I wasn't fully black. I never truly felt like accepted by either, like any group. Yeah. And it I wasn't 100% a, thought you were Hispanic. Yeah. And most people do. <laughs> most people do. You know, when I lived in Miami, people thought I was Cuban. People thought I was Puerto Rican. We talked about that on the last podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and when I lived in Greece, people thought I was Greek. Like, yeah, you know, I'm racially ambiguous, I think. But <laughs> um, it was not until I moved to California in in between my um, sophomore and junior year where I finally was like, okay, I look like these people, you know, but mm-hmm. um, I had moved there from Nebraska where, you know, yeah, sure. We, there's, there's black people there. Right. But uh, the neighborhood that I lived in, there wasn't a whole lot of color, yeah. you, know, you know, the high school that I went to, there wasn't a heck of, I mean, there was, you know, I had black friends and, you know, Latino friends and white friends, but you know, 
the streams really didn't cross all that much. There yeah. was very clear lines in, in California that was just like kick sand over it, you know, and like it didn't exist. So that was sort of like my uh, yeah. like moment, you know, where it was like, okay, like there's people out there that look like me and it's, it's normal. Yeah. It's hard to just, I don't know, I guess like separate it. Cause I think in everyone's mind, they want to think like we're finally getting over this racial hurdle that we're not. But I mean, we've been married for 10 years. And the first time I took him home to meet my family, it was like a warning. I'm like, hey, I'm from Tennessee. Like, like this is going to be a culture shock Mm -hmm. to my whole family that I'm not marrying a white guy. And yeah, it was, it had its moments for sure. And and it's just like, like, we should, in fact, be able to, as a culture, as a people, get over it. But it's. It's not going to. It's going to take everybody, really, a whole change in mindset. Yeah, it's going to take deliberate uh, action and deliberate um, uh, activity, I guess, on the part of people who, up to this point, have either A, not been affected, B, have been unbothered for whatever reason. You know, I um, I was talking with a guy – uh, in my neighborhood, and then you know, I kind of made some comments on one of my social media, and had someone that we work w- with um, kind of reach out and sort of, uh, sort of kind of play into what I was talking about, and mm-hmm. I, I really kind of settled on calling what I was perceiving to be privileged ignorance. I didn't call it white privilege, you know. I I deliberately stayed away from calling it that, but it's just like either through willful, willful ignorance, like, Hey, like it doesn't affect me. So I don't care. Yeah. And you know, my own little comfortable bubble, or I truly just don't pay attention to the news or because the racist dog whistles are not directed toward me. I don't pick up on it. Yeah. You know? Um, but it's going to take everything that's going on right now. Plus continued action and people who are quote unquote unaffected to say, you know what? I get it. And I'm not afraid to say that black lives matter. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's, you know, yeah, all lives matter. 100%. Every life is precious, but in this country, black lives by and large are not valued as much as the dominant race. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's tough because I, I would, I would agree that there's a good percentage of people that see it that way. And I would even extend it as far as minorities. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it, and so, and it really like, it gets to the crux of the issue when you, when when you see or hear someone say black lives matter and then you counter it with yeah but all lives matter you are discounting the the pain and everything that let's let's extend it to minorities that minorities have dealt with yeah and you're seeing it manifest now where a group of people feel like you know what like we're not being heard and so mm-hmm. now this is what's happening. And I, I do not agree 100% with the violent 
rioting, yeah, burning down, not. you know, driving a driving a uh, forklift through the front of Best Buy and making out with TVs and iPhones is not that's not cool, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, and so I have no problem with police and National Guard like quelling that violence. Yeah. But and it really is undermining, you know, the peaceful mm-hmm. protests that are occurring all over the place and um it's just sort of getting lost in the noise, unfortunately. I think the thing that people don't take away is the Black Lives Matter movement isn't saying that all lives don't matter. They're just like, just for this movement, Black Lives Matter. And people yeah. are like, well, yeah, but everybody's lives. Well, we never said that everyone's lives didn't matter. Yeah. We just want our lives to matter the same. The same. And that's where people are like, well, you're saying your life's better than me. And I'm, I'm trying to explain it to people. like That's not what it's about at all. It's yeah. just like, can they be equal? That's all yeah. they want. Yep. And yeah, yeah, it's and, a frustrating. You know, people tend to conflate that one issue with everything else that you know they, they they sort of try to introduce like a red herring into the conversation. You know, like oh well, black people kill black people. You're not up in arms oh, about that. I hate that argument. You know, um, police officers kill white people too. And in fact, you know, more white people were killed last year than black people by cops. Hey, you know what? That is horrible. Yeah. But when you break it down per capita numbers. Black men are killed at the hands of police in far greater percentages. Yeah, and and than like white people being killed is like the extreme, right? There's yeah. uh, there's also the hey, I'm just getting pulled over for nonsense. I'm getting beat up. Yeah, like those are a lot of those you're not hearing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm getting harassed. It's uh, it's not only being killed. Like that's the extreme, and, and like all of it just it needs to stop. Yeah, however we can get it to stop, but yeah. it um. You know, another way to think about this is, you know, that argument that you, like, rolled your eyes at heavily about black people killing black people. Yeah. Like, in Chicago, right? Like, well, you know what? When when one black person kills another person, guess what? They go to prison. Yeah. When a white police officer kills a black man and it's on camera and there's seven witnesses – and there's audio, and they still are acquitted or found not guilty. Mm-hmm. Like that's the problem. Yeah, that justice is not being served. Um, you know, like uh, the case of Breonna Taylor that's ongoing right now. I don't know. Are you guys familiar with her? Is that the one from here in Texas? No, I th- uh, I'm pretty sure Georgia, but she was a EMT. I don't know what her boyfriend does for a living or did for a living but police executed a no-knock warrant for a drug raid oh yeah yeah. residence and they came in guns blazing Mm -hmm. her boyfriend i believe returned fire and was arrested for attempted you know for firing at police yeah in a no-knock warrant and guess what they had the wrong damn house and the person they were looking for was already in jail did the guy die she did Oh. No yeah. criminal background, you know? So uh, So I will say, and I think this is like across more households than it should be, um, even with their job, I hate watching the news. It's depressing and they never show like anything except bad stuff. But in most houses across America now, like cable is pretty much out. So like you only see news on like news outlets if you look them up or on social media. So not saying that it's right or it's wrong, but like that, I never, like, 
that's the first time I had heard about it because we don't have cable here. Right. We don't stream the news or anything. Right. So unless it comes across my timeline on Facebook or something, yeah, yeah. I get and my and news from from my news feed. Yeah, and, and so you know, I don't. I hope I don't offend you, but like oh, that's no. the privileged, you know, ignorance yeah. that I, I sort of speak of. And it's it's not you know, you're not at fault in that. It just mm-hmm. is. You know, you mm-hmm. didn't know. Um, and you know, that's the thing. Like, it's like awareness needs to be spread, and we need. Yeah people from Absolutely. every corner and every ilk to come together and say enough is enough and understand that, you know, Hey, like racism is like just so ingrained into like what America is that when people protest racism, like the, a large portion of this country believes that you are protesting America. Yeah. And like, it's really sad and that's not the case. You know, it's, it's just, um, gosh, it just feels like there's no, there's no great answer. Yeah. Yeah. Even the peaceful protests are seen as wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, somebody put together a, a bunch of photographs of everybody protesting, and one is just wearing a shirt that says, I can't breathe. And yeah. they're like, nope, that's wrong. Uh, find a different way to protest. Yeah. And then the other one's showing Cap taking a knee. They're like, nope, that's wrong. Find a different way to protest. And it's just, well, what's the right way yeah. to protest? Exactly. Nothing, th- nothing's okay where we can get our point across yep. uh, it, it's a struggle man yeah. uh like so i haven't had an incident where like i feared for my life um but i have had incidents where it's like fuck i'm going to jail after being pulled over and i didn't even do anything wrong mm-hmm. um like holly will tell you i get nervous as shit whenever i see cops yeah uh, and I'm driving, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yep. And I'm just like, my anxiety builds up. Yep. I have both hands on the steering wheel. I'm trying to do everything correct and trying not to look uh, suspicious or whatever. Um, but so we were a group of friends of, of mine. I took them to visit uh, my hometown of El Paso. Um, and they were all black. <laughs> and we were coming back. And uh, they stopped us and they were, they said our dog picked something up. Um, The dog was nowhere near my vehicle. They're like, Hey, our dog picked something up. So y'all need to get out. And uh, we got to search the vehicle. Dude, they patted us down. Like they were going to find something. Yeah. Like they were not going to stop until they found something. Yeah. Uh, And after a while they took us into the office they like tore everything out of the car. They were searching for whatever it is they found. And then they came back. They're like, we didn't find anything, but the dog's still smelling uh, weed. Like what the fuck? And we're on the military. This, this was, I was like three years in, in the air force by then. Uh, it's like, dude, we're all military. Yeah. We, we don't mess with drugs. Like, I don't know what your dog is smelling, but it's not that they're like, yeah, I, I don't believe you. The The dog doesn't lie. It's like, fuck. Uh, I mean, eventually they they finally let us go, but it was, it's like, I was I was scared. I yeah. was just scared shitless. Like I'm about to go to jail. Not to mention my son was with me at the time, and he was two years old, I think. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, I don't know what's gonna happen with my son. We're all gonna go to jail. Dude, my career's over, and all over what? You had a suspicion? Like, what was your suspicion? Yeah. Racial profiling is what it, uh, it's what it sounds like. It's exactly what it was. I, I tell you what, man, I had 
I got pulled over in December, um, a couple weeks before Christmas and, uh, you know, I was doing 10 over the speed limit, trying to merge into traffic and, you know, I ended up getting a ticket. Um, but as soon as I saw the lights behind me, like my, you know, my, everybody gets that feeling, right? Yeah. But not everybody has the feeling of, oh shit, like I'm a person of color. Uh, getting pulled over. And yeah. so anymore now, like when I get pulled over, cars off, windows down, and both of my hands are out the window until I am told otherwise. And that's exactly what I did because yeah. I was not going to let that man ma- mistake any sort of movement for any action. And I had a gun in the car too, Yeah, you know? And so yes. um, that's the worst. Yeah. So it's like, okay, do, well, do I tell him that I'm, that I have a concealed carry license yeah. and that it is sitting in an appendix carry at the moment. And yeah. Like you don't know how to approach it, right? Yeah, like without sounding it. like, Hey, exactly. I'm a bad guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, I told him like, um, actually, no, I didn't tell him when he asked me for my license, you know, I moved very deliberately, very slowly. And I pulled out my, my concealed carry license and I handed it to him. And, yeah. you know, he, he looked right at it and he was like, do you have a weapon in the car? I said, yes, I do. I said, it's on my hip. And he said, all right, please keep your hands where I can see him. And, you know, and he was very direct. He, I, I don't even know that I would call him cordial. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was a one way conversation of, you know, you're getting a ticket. There was no, he didn't ask me why, why I got pulled over. He just told me, he was like, I got you doing 80 and a 70. You're getting a ticket. Yeah. Where are you going? You know, I'm like, oh, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. So. It, it's scary, Was that man. here in San Angelo? Yeah. Yeah. I got a ticket for the same thing for, and this is totally, we're going off, I'm like going off the racial thing, but for speeding on an on-ramp, isn't mm-hmm. that the whole purpose of an on-ramp? Yeah. <laughs> to merge safely. <laughs> just get to I'm not so going to slow down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Quota. I, uh, I, dude, I've definitely had some good experiences with cops that have pulled me over to you. But like each time I'm just worried and I'm doing the same thing. Like my hands are steering wheel, steering wheel. I'm not making any sudden movements and just following their directions. Um, but so I have this buddy and uh, well, he's a white guy. Uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and his wife put this story on, on Facebook and what happened? He got pulled over. I can't remember what he got pulled over for. Um, and when the cop came to the window. Uh, my buddy, like, took out his gun, cleared it. Oh, no. And then, I don't know if he gave it to the officer or he gave it to his wife. But, like, nothing was happening. Nothing happened from what I got from the story. It's just like, oh, okay. Like, put that aside. And I was thinking the entire time, like, how different would that have gone if it was me? Yeah. Right? And... I, it like my my brain automatically goes to like somebody would have gotten hurt. Yeah, because uh, that's something you just don't do, right? Yeah, there's uh, no chance I would have ever done that, nor will I. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that could have been, it, it could have been a racing like it's because it's white, so not as threatening, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know, or maybe it could have just been like a cop who, you know, who's not quick to pull the trigger or, you know, flip out in a situation mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, that's the other piece to this whole thing. The cops, man. 
Uh, and, and I'll say it, they're not all bad. No. Uh, not at all. Nope. Uh, I've got several friends who are police officers or yeah. um, uh, DEA agents yeah. or Customs and Border Protection. Like, these are good men. Yeah. Right? But you don't hear about the good men. Yeah, you don't. Part. And that's that's not publicized enough, man. Yeah. Like, my brother's a cop, and uh, for the most part, he's a good p- cop. I mean, I don't see his day-to-day stuff, but he's done a lot of good things. And uh, and he tells me some of the shitty stories uh, yeah. that cops go through. Yeah. And so when I hear about stuff like this, I, I think about my brother. And, uh, you know, cops go through a lot of shit. Yeah. And you honestly don't know if, like, you pull somebody over, what's going to happen on that yeah. stop. Um, and that goes hand in hand with the cops training, right? Like how much training have they received? What's their quality of training? Um, or is it somebody that just put on a badge and they just threw them out in the street and, right. Hey, go pull people over. Um, in this case, the dude, like he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's the other thing to take in consideration with these cops, man, like they're training, are they stressed out? Um, a lot of them suffer from PTSD. Like you don't know what's going on in their head. Do they need to be pulled off the street? Mm-hmm. Um, but some of it's just straight racism. And uh, I don't know. It's just hard because I see a lot on Facebook and, and any other social media outlets saying like, hey, just cops are bad. Yeah. And that's not the case. Yeah, no, that's dangerous rhetoric. And I would never, ever, ever get behind or suggest that all cops are bad. Yeah. But to suggest that all cops should not or wouldn't benefit from increased training and increased oversight and uh, increased positive community relations mm-hmm. and accountability. Um, if you disagree, man, I, I, I just I don't know. No, I, I don't disagree you. with it. Yeah. But I mean, and I'll just like. I'm always the one playing devil's advocate, but I mean, even like for us, we have to go through training, but we just get desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. So they probably do go through these trainings and it's probably like a annual thing that they have to go through. Like, what do you do in this situation or whatever? But you get so desensitized to it that you're just like, here's another training, like yeah. sit through it. Don't pay attention, play on your phone, whatever, and then get up and leave. And it's actually stuff that there's a reason you have to do it annually. Um, so I don't know. I just think that the same thing, like I'm not behind the rhetoric that all cops are bad, but the, there are good cops out there, but in the same, there are bad cops. And if the good cops don't stand up and stop the bad cops, then you have the George Floyd incident where that one cop was murdering him and four bystander cops just watched it happen and didn't do anything. And so like, you can't say you're a good cop if you're not willing to step in and say like, what are you doing yeah. with your life right now? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. yeah. And that was like, I think that was just straight up murder. Um, and I think that's what he's getting charged with now. Second degree was upgraded. Yeah. Like that's not a lack of training or a lack of quality of training. Like he, he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, anything involved in the neck, man, that's, it's bad news, right? Yeah. I mean, one, he was already cuffed. He was detained. Why go any further? Yeah. Yeah. And then I was I was looking into like I was looking into the video and he's like um like twisting his knee into his neck and he's looking straight at him. 
you know what you're doing. Yeah. Like you're applying more and more pressure. Yeah. You're trying to kill the dude, and he did. It's, yeah. I don't know, man. It's it's fucking sickening. But. I think, uh, yeah, I think you probably underscore what you just said. Uh, there's really no other, really no other way to put it, quite frankly. Um, and you know, there's there's people out there that are like, oh, you know, you know, he had fentanyl in his system, and or opioids, and you know, he was trying to pass off a counterfeit twenty dollar bill, and uh, okay, so the guy clearly um, has some issues, right? Yeah, but. You know, <laughs> pretty sure most of the the number one consumer in America of opioids and fentanyl are white kids in the Hamptons, and, yeah, and, and that come from affluent families. Mm-hmm. You know, and and America really didn't care too much. Uh, people that people in America that can affect change really didn't care too much until white kids started dying from opioids. It wasn't yeah. a problem until then. So you can miss me completely with the he was a bad person because he had opioids in his system or fentanyl and no by the way he had covid you know yeah that guess that came out later right yeah so it's like jeez you know you can't you can't justify what happened yeah no you can't there's no justification for it at all yep so i don't know It, it will be interesting to see play out you know those officers were arrested um, all, all four of them and, uh, second degree murder, man. It, if you better hope you can make that stick by upgrading it from third degree. That's what I was uh, thinking. Next. So that, like, cause we will see round two of what's happening right now. It'll be worse. Yeah. Probably. Holly's opinion is that if this wouldn't have been as widely publicized as it is, like if it wouldn't have blown up into protest and rioting and looting and all this, that, it would have just been another thing swept under the rug. Yeah. Yep. I think so as well. Yep. And I mean, the people out there protesting it, like the ones that actually give a shit, uh, I I doubt that they were the ones like intensely rioting and looting. You know, I think those people were just the ones taking advantage of the situation. Yeah. So I think that uh, it's it's been pretty widely reported that there are instigators and yeah. people that are seizing the moment to mm-hmm. just incite chaos, yeah. you know? Um, and so, you know, there've been people that have been arrested that do not fit the description that you would think, you know, um, that would be protesting, you know, for black lives matter. Like, yeah. so, you know, whether it's Antifa chuckleheads or, you know, white nationalists that are seizing the opportunity, I think both are probably guilty of, of, infiltrating peaceful protests and inciting riots and paying, you know, people that are there to go do, you know, whatever to break windows out or throw rocks or whatever. But, um, you know, while that needs to be dealt with, you still cannot let it take away from, from the message. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. And then, you know, I I saw a video today, uh, of in DC at Lafayette park where, uh, a media member, a cameraman was standing there with a news camera, not a, not an iPhone, not a little handheld recorder, like a no kidding, you know, $20,000 camera and a cop 
you know, put his riot shield like right in the guy's gut. Oh, and he shit. like doubled over. And, you know, why? You know, those like why? Like in the Constitution, which has been a topic of discussion that has been woven into everything that is happening. Yeah. There is one profession that is enumerated in the Constitution that is constitutionally protected. The press. In America, the press holds the state accountable unlike anywhere else in the world. And, you know, mass media and mainstream media, they've done themselves no favors um, over the last probably two decades where with the 24-hour news cycle and um, getting away from reporting the news to tr- attempting to analyze it through a biased filter. And nobody is... Nobody is... Uh, innocent in this whether it's fox cnn msnbc oann like some of the you know the more fringe crazy uh folks but did you know actually in the 80s it was actually uh federal law that if a news like if if fox or cnn devoted 15 minutes to a topic and reported on it from a left or right um agenda that they had to give equal airtime to the other side of the partisan line. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so So they just didn't do it probably. Well, so we've gone away from it. It's no longer a law anymore. And so now you no longer have to, um, you know, report equally and fairly. Um, And so I think what has happened, what we've seen happen is that people will tune in to their news drug of choice and they're not seeking information. I, I think they're seeking affirmation. Yeah. They want to they be told what they already believe. Yeah. And then just dig their freaking heels in to whatever that you know narrative is. And there's nothing that you can say to them from another angle that will get them to budge. And like it's... So while, you know, yeah, the... the uh, a free press is still constitutionally protected. There's, you know, they do need to help themselves as well. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. Man, this is just such a nuanced uh, discussion that just encompasses so many like yeah. facets of our, our, the, what it means to be an American, yeah. Yeah. you know, and the ideals that we hold dear um, to peaceably protest, to have a free press, to have, uh, a military with civil authority, you know, of all volunteers. Like mm-hmm. these, these, these three things have squarely been in the, the, the crosshairs this week. Yeah. And it's just fascinating and disheartening and just unreal to watch all three of them kind of intertwine. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, um, kind of transitioning a little bit. You know, you had Secretary Mattis write his op-ed in the Atlantic. I was going to ask you about it, but I didn't know if we were going to go there, so I didn't. (laughs) My goodness. Like, that, first of all, I think it's disgusting uh, that he would do that. Like, I I am firmly old school. Like, 
civil military relations is probably my favorite topic to talk about. <laughs> um, and so I just, that one, that made me want to like, just like punch a hole through the wall <laughs> that he would do that. Um, and it, and again, it's so nuanced. Like mm. this guy is attained like this rock star status amongst, you know, first Marines and then the rest of the services and then some of America, you know, there was a, uh, I, I think that as military members, the three of us and everyone else, like probably over inflate his, like his rock star status. I mean, there's, there's plenty of Americans who have no clue who he is. There oh, was yeah. a, um, there was a, a, um, a poll that was ran last year asking the general public, Hey, who is, who's Jim Mattis and what is his military status? And 8% of the populace said, uh, active duty. Um, 29%, I think said retired. And then, but I, I 32% said, I don't, I don't have a clue who he is. No idea. Yeah. Like you're asking. So he must be important. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, you know, and so I just, you know, that's, it's, if you were to tell a, a group of military members that I'm sure they'd probably look at you like, Whoa. Yeah. Like, how do you wild. not know? I, I was thinking about that, about that with, uh, general Goffin and, uh, chief Wright, like outside of our military, they're probably unknown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go talk to your civilian friends, see if they know who they are. Oh yeah. You know, um, in America, mo- m- most Americans know, or many Americans only know the military through their sons, their daughters, husbands, wives, mm-hmm. whoever, a direct family member, you know, but most Americans know the military through what the media tells them. Yeah. And, and so it's incumbent on military members to engage in conversation and form relationships with the communities that they serve in uh, to to further the narrative and, and close that civil-military divide. Um, That's hard, man. It, it is. And, you know, the I sort of look at civil-military relations as like a three-legged stool yeah. where you have the political elites and the military elites that, you know, have to engage. So these four stars generals and admirals that have to talk to their civilian counterparts in Congress and, and in the executive branch. Mm-hmm. And then you have, uh, people like us that engage with the public. And then you have people like us who engage with the publics in other countries, whether it's in an active war zone or if you are stationed in Germany, you know, these are, and without one of those legs being firm, that three-legged stool is going to fall over and cease to serve its function. Yeah. Right. Um, and so when you have, um, somebody like that, who is pretty well known, come out and, and write such a scathing op-ed, like full disregarding, fully disregarding civil authority. Yeah. I have a huge problem with that because he's making it incredibly difficult for those currently serving in advisory roles, like the chairman of the joint chiefs, um, the other service chiefs, you know, general Goldfein from the air force, um, 
McConville, General McConville from the Army, you know, so on and so forth. Because if I'm President Trump, I'm looking at Jim Mattis and I'm saying, hmm, you're not that far removed from your post as the secretary. And you're also not that far removed from your status as a four-star general in the Marine Corps. Are you talking for you? Or are you talking on behalf of those who owe me and Congress and the American people unbiased, apolitical military advice? And he's making it, Jim Mattis is making it, He's making a mockery, first of all, of his duty, his professional obligation to remain apolitical even in retirement. But he's making it incredibly difficult for those that are still serving. And um, because you don't want the public to lose faith in who we have leading the military, because then they're going to look, the, the people who are appointing them, like the president, he's going to look for more reliable generals. And you absolutely don't want that, right? Like, you don't want people serving in those positions that align politically with the executive. Yeah. You just keep what a scary place that is. Right. Like you're, you're sort of now like, Oh boy. (laughs) And, um, see, I didn't even look at it from that viewpoint whenever that came out. Yeah. Um, and most people don't, you know, um, and so I, I would certainly challenge you to begin looking at it from that viewpoint because um, it matters quite a deal yeah. because this is a profession that we are in, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, this isn't just a job. And we have a client relationship with the pub, the our fellow citizens, you know, they yeah. get to say whether or not we are a profession. We get to say whether or not we get to determine whether or not we are professionals. Yeah. And if you look at like, go back to Vietnam, right? Like the public decided that we were no longer professionals and they by and large backhanded the military when, (laughs) when they came back. And so the army had to decide, you know, like, okay, where do we go from here? And the services had to decide where do we go from here? And ultimately it was decided like, you know what? We need an all volunteer force that's how we're going to get after the professionalization of the service. And and now like we are where we are, you know, it's kind of ebbed and flowed, but um, it's, it's, we are certainly the most professional fighting force that exists today or ever. For sure. We have to guard like those ideals. We have to. Yeah. I see it from both points. Like, I think his position put his prior positions put him in a position where he shouldn't have said the things he said, but in the same thing, like right now is the time where we're empowering everyone. Like this is your freedom of speech. Like say what you want to say. So, but when you're in those positions, you have to tailor your freedom of speech. Sometimes you you do. And, um, and so there is a, there is a professional obligation that is, incumbent on retired flag officers to maintain their apolitical status unless of course they're going to run for office right like to me like that's the okay you need to go away for two or two to four years be quiet don't write op-eds don't come out you know with hot takes uh, about policy and strategy fade away for a little bit 
and then, you know, <laughs> run. Don't continue to engage. And, and, you know, as a political appointee, as the secretary, he was still referred to as what? Mad Dog Mattis, General Mattis. General Mattis, yeah. right? And so that is like, whoa. You At that point now, okay, well, do you have civil authority of the military through the SECDEF? like operating under the authority of the president or is it a general that <laughs> is, you know, like, I mean that, I think that's going to be, that's going to be studied for years yeah. in professional schools. Um, but you know, to this point, <clears throat> you got a whole lot of books in that back room. Do you have, <laughs> do you have anything by Samuel Huntington back there? The soldier and the statesman? No. Okay. So Huntington is, you know, there's still a lot of debate kind of on whether or not this is still relevant. Um, but he, he writes, he wrote, you know, this book that was, that it was widely considered to be the authority on civil military relations and the professionalization of the services. But he talks about, um, the profession in like three categories, right? Expertise, corporateness, and responsibility. And these are three things that all of us, are held to that are sitting around this table and all of our peers and those who lead us and those we follow and those that we lead. And, you know, the expertise, right? Like 40 years of service or in, in general Mattis's or secretary Mattis's case, like 50 plus, like the guy's been doing the military longer than I've been alive. <laughs> right? Um, but the moment that you step away from doing something like that, like your skill begins to atrophy. Yeah. I mean, is Michael Jordan the same, you know, the same basketball player that he once was? Hell yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, okay. Maybe a bad example. You put respect on his name. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, your skills begin to atrophy, right? And so maybe he's not as sharp as he once was. Maybe he is, but. Your skills begin to atrophy. Yeah, definitely. And then the corporateness aspect of it that these retired flag officers have, they're still a part of the, the club, right? Yep. We invite them back. You, know, you guys know flag officers get 100% of their retire, their active duty pay in retirement? I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. You didn't know that? No. So there's reasons for that. It's because they're on a retainer. It is a retainer by the federal government to – keep paying them for their expertise because this is the only profession where they reach the pinnacle, like between 25 and 40 years of like, they are it. And then we force them out. <laughs> bye bye. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, okay, you know what? We're still going to pay you $20,000 a month, but we're going to invite you back to consult you on matters no. of national defense. <laughs> and so now, you know, he's on, Hey, you know what, dude, you want to give up that money? Talk all you want. Yeah, but don't join, you know, boards of defense contractors and do paid appearances because you're a retired general Mattis and badmouth civil authority of the military and still yet kind of be on, be on the books. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the third, the third bin that Huntington talked about was responsibility. That is the crux of leadership, right? Well, guess what? He's not responsible to anybody anymore. He's not leading men and women. He's not responsible to Congress or the president. 
so he can he can say whatever he wants and absolve himself of any responsibility to anyone so just. I mean it is like and it's not just him it's it's Stanley McChrystal it's Michael Hayden has he put something it's out there Clapper it's McRaven oh yeah all these guys all these guys that I'm mentioning like they are all they've all spoken ill of President Trump Oh, okay. oh, I thought you were talking about like um, recently with the current events. Um, so recently, well, I mean, all you do do a sweep of Twitter for Hayden and um, Jim Clapper and and Mark Hurtling. Like those three are probably the most active on Twitter. Like just with the hot takes, like he's a clown. You know, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's this, that, and the other. Yeah, right? there's yeah. things that they shouldn't be saying. Um, it's hard because those guys have like. Not in the civilian populace, but in the military, they've built up such a reputation that even if yep. they say all this crazy stuff, everyone's just like, he's General Mattis. Like, he exactly. says what he wants. He does yeah. what he wants. Right. And so there's no real, like, um, repercussions, I guess, for yeah. whatever he does because he's still going to get called back for advisement. He's He was in for 50 years. Like, yeah. he, there's no one, like, even if you don't like the guy or you don't like what he says or stands for, there's no one that's going to have his expertise and his consult, like, yep. besides him. Yeah, so. You can't replace that yep. kind of experience. Nope, you yeah. cannot. And it's it is it's just so dangerous that um, that they're doing that. And and you know, there's a segment of the population that's like, oh my gosh, like he's his own personal ethos and morals are guiding him to speak out and say X Y Z about whatever's going on, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, that's great, but, you know, professional obligation and ethics are universal to people in the military. Our personal morals, they probably, you know, they're probably close, but they vary, right? Like, Holly, you didn't grow up exactly like I did, and I didn't grow up exactly like Cruz. And and so there's there's going to be some variance in, like, the things that are acceptable to us based on our worldview of how mom and dad raised us. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so, um, so you, you know, while both are important, as part of the profession, what are you guided by first? And it's ethics. And part of that is an obligation to remain apolitical. I just, there, for me, like there's just no gray area with that. Yeah. And I, I like, you know, there are people who are extremely close to me that like know what my political viewpoints are. Like, you know, like my, some of my closest friends, my wife, but like, even like my mom and dad, like they get frustrated because they'll ask me questions that are like bait, and, you know, and, and I'll and I'll how you can know, we I'll get them going exactly? And I'm like, nope. Yeah. And uh, like nobody ever at work should know which way I lean, yeah. ever, because now, like, how can I, how can I provide competent military advice if yeah. it's perceived to be slanted in any way? Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'll discredit you almost 100%. immediately. Yep. And, um, you know, General Eisenhower, like Ike, like one of the greatest generals ever, right, is like an awesome case study in this. The dude, you know, he planned the Allied invasion of Normandy, right? And he never once voted in an election. No shit. Not once. <laughs> because his own personal ethos were, drove him to say, I don't want my own political leanings to influence. I don't want there to be any chance that how I vote influences 
the advice I give. And President Truman actually uh, wanted him to run on the Democratic ticket as the president in 1948, and Truman volunteered to run as the VP. And Eisenhower told him no. Damn. And then in 1952, people wanted Eisenhower to run, and he again was like, I'm not volunteering to run for president. But if you nominate me, I won't say no. <laughs> <laughs> and so on the, the Republican primary in New Hampshire, Taft, Howard Taft, was a distant second to Eisenhower, who became the nominee in 1952 as a Republican. And Eisenhower's closest aides and confidants had no freaking clue which way he leaned. <laughs> and they were they were surprised that because he was really tight with Truman, yeah. Like in those later years, and then they really became like enemies. Like once you know political lines were drawn and things like that, and it's just a gosh, it's just like a fascinating like story. You lost me when it's, you start talking about. It history. sounds like a mess to me. Yeah, no, it absolutely <laughs> is. But it just it again, it just goes back to how important civil military relations are. And that we uphold them yeah. and that we hold people accountable who should just STF you. Like, <laughs> like be quiet. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. But I, mean, I know we're coming up on time. So I'm are we? But um, the, like all the memos that are coming out that are pretty much from like MAGCOM commanders and they're like, yes, you have your like freedom of speech, like go mm -hmm. out and protest and do all these things and stand up. And it's yeah. like, you're doing the exact you're telling them to do the exact opposite of what we've been telling them to do since they joined the military. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of memos, so General Milley, right, the chairman. Did you see the one that he no put idea. out to the joint force mm -hmm. yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Yeah. Um You saw it? Yeah, it was in my email. Yeah, it was a it was a great memo. But he it was addressed to the joint force as well as the I think it was the joint chiefs first. But he basically said, like, hey, um, as military members, we are charged with an allegiance to the Constitution and the ideals that we all uphold as Americans in this, you know, uh, this fragile democracy and this experiment as a republic, right? And it was, it was, that is how it should be done. He didn't come out guns blazing against his boss, but it was a stern reminder to everybody in uniform and this is just me talking. I, I don't have any proof of this, but the way I read it is that memo may as well have been addressed to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, seriously, like for y'all that don't know, that's the white house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's the way you do it. It yeah. was, it was sternly worded as military but not members, rude. but it, not rude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was exactly how it should have been. Yeah. There's even like a little handwritten note at the bottom of it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was it was great. I loved it. And I was like, mm-hmm. I need to go read that. Yeah. The handwritten note at the bottom was like, you're an American and your job is to uphold the Constitution and the people of America. Yep. Out. <laughs> yep. Nice. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds. Uh, I yes, think that's well, probably the understatement of the the, the discussion. Yeah. 
we'll see how it goes. I mean, and we'll bring you back, man. And hey, more, let's do uh, it. More discussion about yeah. it. Uh, but yeah, so we're coming up here on time. Uh, dude, it was it was a blast having you on here again. Uh, added the wife today. She finally mm. made it <laughs> <laughs> since episode one. Yeah. Um, no, thanks for having me back. I, I um. Yeah, these were important topics to talk about and, um, you know, stuff that we most certainly should not shy away from and figure out a way to constructively talk through and uh, to to just, you know, um, show people that, hey, like, you can be a professional and you can still um, professionally discuss hot button topics you know, in, in a way that's not going to get you in trouble. Absolutely. Yes. So. Um, President Hobson, 2032. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here no, first. I don't think so. On the Tell Me Something podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting you in, man. All right. He's all right. Well, on any party. Uh, yeah, well, your wife's going to be my sec def. How about that? <laughs> here we go. Mad dog, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, it was, it was awesome having you, uh, today. Uh, and we'll definitely get you back if you're up to it. Yeah, absolutely, and, man. Uh, we'll we'll talk sure. some more shit. Well, we weren't talking shit, but I mean that in general. We sort of were. Just <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll BS is what I meant to say. There you go. Uh, and then you can tell some more of your stories. I'm sure you'll have a lot more from where you're going. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, I closed on my house today in Florida, so excited yeah. to get down there. Shout out to Kate. Yes, Kate Mast. Yeah. The bomb. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we made it happen. Um, if you are in the uh, market for a home in the panhandle of Florida in Pensacola, yeah, I was going to plug her in, but I know. Cape Mass. <laughs> yes. Blue Marlin uh, 21 Real Estate. There you go. There's the plug. <laughs> um, but all right, man. Uh, any Anything else? Some uh, sign-off words before we, I guess, we head out? Are you going to be at my going away tomorrow? I will not be. What I time am is it? out. <laughs> uh, like 2.30 or 3, oh, yeah. something like that. Yeah. I got the shaggy hair, the scruff going on. Uh, Don't even wear a uniform. Yeah, yeah. You're good. <laughs> Is it at, at the office? Yeah, it's in the dockyard. Yeah, buddy. It's in our bar at work for those listening. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. We don't drink on the job, though, just yeah. to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Questionable at best. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. All right. Uh all right. Peace out, Cub Scout. Ah, there it is. Ooh. That's for That's you, Rizzo. Okay. That's mine. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I dig it. All right, man. We will see you all later. <laughs> <laughs>